0: Galatians chapter 4:21 and we're going to read up through chapter 5 verse 1. Here the word of the Lord. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who had a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In many sports, the opponents face off, and they oppose each other with opposite force. The main sport of this season is American football, and those poor guys on the front line, they're always smashing into each other on each play, and it's force against opposite force. Uh, in other sports, however, uh, the idea is not to oppose the force of your opponent, but it's to use the force of your opponent against him or her. Judo, for example, Judo in Japanese means the gentle way, although if you look at a Judo match, it doesn't seem so gentle, uh, always, because they allow chokeholds and things like that. But the idea of Judo is to take advantage of the force of your opponent and use it against him or her. That is what Paul is doing in this fascinating section today. He is using a Judo technique. He is taking the force of those who were saying to these Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians in Galatia, the, the false teachers who were saying to them, you need to be back under the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the calendar. You need to follow the diet. And he was saying, okay, you want to go there? That's your strength? The law? That's your strength? Well, I'll go there. I'll go there with you, and let me show you where it really takes you. Look at verse 21, and you see how he does it. He says, tell me, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So this is his first judo move. Oh, you want to talk about the law, do you? Great. Funny that you mentioned it. Let's talk about the law, and let's see where the law takes us. But the way he does it is interesting, because he's using in one verse two different meanings of the word law. He says, You who want to be under law, that is, under commandment, do you not hear what the law, that is, the Torah, that is, the Pentateuch, that is, the first five books of the Bible, do you not hear what the law says? So, he's being very clever here. He's saying, you want to be under commandment, don't you hear what the whole Torah says? And then he quotes from Genesis. And we wouldn't think about Genesis as being commandment, but we would think about Genesis as being commandment. Torah, because it is part of the first five books of Moses. And what we need to do here in order to understand Galatians is I need to give you the backstory. Some of you are very familiar with this backstory, others not so much. But the backstory takes place between Genesis 15 and Genesis 21. God had told Abraham, when Abraham was about 75 years old, that he would have a son. And um that takes place in chapter 15, verse 4. Well, ten years go by, and by the way, Sarah is ten years younger than Abraham. So, Abraham's 75, Sarah's 65. And God says, you will have a son. <laughs> Pretty unlikely, right? Well, then they wait ten years, and guess what? Still no son. So, how old is Abraham? He's about 85. Sarah's about 75. And so, Sarah has a suggestion. Sarah says, let's take advantage of a local custom here. And the local custom was to... If a woman was uh, barren and not able to have children, she could offer to her husband one of the women of the household, one of the slaves. And that's what she said. Well, we have this Egyptian slave here. She's young. She's probably fertile. So, why don't you, Abraham, why don't you have a child with Hagar, and we will count this child as the promised child of God. And so, that's what they did in chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. And then, Hagar becomes pregnant, just like Sarah had hoped. But then she began to despise her mistress. And so Sarah got very angry and blamed the whole thing on Abraham. And then they had, the next year, they had a son. Abraham was 86. And they called uh, the son Ishmael, which means God hears. God hears. So now they have a son. Thirteen years later, so let's keep doing the math here, thirteen years later, now Abraham is 99, and uh, Sarah is about 89, God comes and clarifies His promise. God says, I told you you are going to have a son, but I want to clarify that you and Sarah are going to have a son. Not just that you, Abraham, are going to have a son, but you and Sarah are going to have a son at this time next year. And so, guess what? Sarah becomes pregnant, and this is in chapters uh, chapter uh, twenty one. Sarah becomes pregnant, and uh, she has a son, and they call him Laughter. And why do they call him Laughter, Isaac? Because it's so funny, and, and she says everybody who hears about this is going to laugh, because this is hilarious. A woman who is ninety years old is nursing a son, and Abraham's a hundred. But that was the son of the promise. Well, then he was later weaned, and in those days uh, they were they were weaned sometimes after two or three years. So now we have a situation where Isaac, laughter, is about three years old. Ishmael and Hagar are still around. And Ishmael is probably about 14 years old. And so they have a celebration when Isaac is weaned. And uh, during the celebration it seems like it says the text that that Ishmael was laughing. And you might think, well, that's good. Didn't Sarah say everybody would laugh? And now Ishmael is laughing. But Sarah took it to be a a sarcastic, a, a mocking sort of laughing. And so Sarah said, that's it. That's enough. Abraham, get rid of this woman. Get rid of her son. Because this boy is not going to inherit with my son, Isaac. And although Abraham was very unhappy, God told him to go ahead and do what Sarah had said. And so he sent out Hagar and his firstborn son, Ishmael, and God promised that he would make a nation of Ishmael as well. But he reiterated that Sarah's right, maybe not her attitude, but Sarah's right in this, that the promised son is Isaac, and Isaac is the son of the inheritance. Now, later on, Ishmael married an Egyptian woman. His mom was Egyptian, and he married an Egyptian woman. And so, the line of Ishmael got farther and farther away from the line of Abraham, just uh, by becoming more and more Gentile and less and less part of Abraham's blood. So, that's the story. Got the story in your mind? Now, we're going to take two passes at this story. We're going to look at this story as Jewish people would have interpreted it. And I think you will see the force of their interpretation. And then we will see Paul's judo technique that he does with this story. So how would Jewish people look at this story? They would have looked at it in a very straightforward way. And it's a way that has a lot of sense to it. They would have looked at it and based their interpretation on biological descent. Biological descent. So this is how it would go. Sarah was the free woman. She was the wife of Abraham. Isaac was the son of Abraham and Sarah. He was the son of the promise. The Israelite people descended from Abraham, from Isaac, not Ishmael, Isaac, and then Jacob. And so they are the descendants, the blood descendants of Abraham and Sarah. Therefore, these are Abraham and Sarah's children. The Israelites are the descendants, the true children of Abraham and Sarah. Makes sense, doesn't it? Very straightforward interpretation. Hagar, however, she was an Egyptian. She was a Gentile. She was not of the same family. And her son, because she was a slave, her son could be considered a slave as well. His descendants were not part of the people of Israel, but essentially Gentiles, related to the Arabs. And the Gentiles are not then the true children of Abraham. That's the interpretation that the Jews would have immediately come to. And it's a very straightforward interpretation. Now, let's think about the situation in Galatia. The false teachers in Galatia might have, we don't know, but they might have added a detail to that. They might have added this detail. It's true. The Gentiles are not children of Abraham, but they can become children of Abraham by being circumcised, because Ishmael was circumcised. And so, you Gentiles, yes, it's good for you to believe in Christ, but if you really want to be legitimate children of Abraham, then you need to be circumcised too. We don't know that they made that argument, but the story lends itself to that sort of application. Okay, are you with me? Now we get to the text. Now we see what Paul did with this. And we have to recognize that it is, it is quite clever what he did uh, and quite surprising at first glance. But we see how this interpretation has a depth to it that the other interpretation doesn't have. And what he did was he retold the story of these two sons and he admitted that one was born of a free woman and one was born of... Of a slave woman. So he affirms all that. However, he emphasized something. That Ishmael was born according to the flesh. According to the flesh. And what does he mean by that? He means this. Was there anything miraculous about Ishmael's birth? Was there anything out of the ordinary? No. It was a man and a fertile woman coming together and having a baby. That is the most normal, biological, fleshly thing that can happen. That's how children get into the world. Nothing surprising about this. It is natural. It is fleshly. So, how was Ishmael born? According to the flesh. However, um, However, Isaac was born differently. And this is Paul's judo throw. Okay, you want to focus on biological descent... You want to focus on biology? I'll focus on biology. Who was born in a completely biologically explicable manner? Ishmael was born in that manner. But in contrast, Isaac was born according to the promise. In other words, he was born miraculously. Yes, there was biology involved, but I think you will agree that for a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to have a child, that's a miracle. That is a work of God. And so Isaac is the miraculous child. Isaac is the child born of the promise, whereas Ishmael is the child born of the flesh. Okay, are you with me? You see what Paul's doing here? Now, the conclusion will be that those who believe God's promise are the true children. Because here, Isaac's over here. He's the child of the promise. If you believe the promise, then you are in the line of Isaac. And if you don't believe the promise, then no matter what your biology might be, you are not of the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, spiritually speaking. And uh, this conclusion is... um, actually something that we all need to wrestle with today as well, because some of us have strong believing heritages. Some of us have strong faith in our families, but that faith needs to be our faith as well. So we, we can't say uh, that we are okay before God because of who our grandfather was or because of our great grandfather or even who our parents were and what they believed. And so in each generation the faith has to be there. It can't be it can't be automatically inherited. Now what a blessing. What a blessing for the Jews to have the godly heritage that they have. And what a blessing for for Christian uh, children of Christian families uh, who have been in a line of believers. What a wonderful advantage and blessing and we do not dismiss that or, or discount that at all. But, at the same time, they cannot simply rest on biological descent as their salvation. Now, Paul then applied this, this insight about these two principles, flesh and promise, and he applied them to two covenants. And here he starts going very fast. So, buckle your seatbelts and let's try to keep up with his, his reasoning here. Because uh, in verse 21, that's where we saw he begins the judo technique, and then in he, 22, he, he affirms that there were two sons. 23, he says, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. That's the basic interpretive principle that he uses throughout. And then he begins to apply other things to two covenants. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Now, He mentions specifically only one of the two covenants, but the other one is there implicitly. He mentions one of the covenants, and that is the covenant from Mount Sinai. What was given on Mount Sinai to Moses? The law. law. So there's one covenant. This is the covenant of law. This is the covenant of Mount Sinai. The other covenant, which is implicitly here, that's the covenant with Abraham. And the covenant with Abraham was a covenant of promise. Exactly. It was a covenant of promise. God didn't come and say, do this. God came to Abraham and said, I will do this. Believe it. So, the response to the, the covenant of promise is to believe. The response to the covenant of law is to do, is to obey. So, these are the two covenants. Now, watch what Paul does with this. He says, in verse 24, he says, uh, now. Um, Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. Bearing children for slavery, she is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, Paul just took some big steps there. Let's see if we can follow what he's doing here. But he just turned the tables here. And what he did was he said, okay, let's look at these principles. Here is the principle of law. And what does law do to us who are not able to keep it? It enslaves us. And so, those who are enslaved have something in common with Hagar because she was a slave and her son was born to a slave. So you see what he's doing here? He's saying this principle of slavery... If we are under law, we are unable to keep that law, and it keeps us enslaved. He's already talked about that, um, about um, the Jews at the beginning of uh, chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a, as a child, is no different from a slave, but he's under guardians. Do you remember that? That he was talking about, we Jews... We were children, but we were underage, and we were under law, and so we looked like we were still in slavery, and now that Christ has come, we're free, and we we come into our full inheritance. He's saying, but if you're still under law, you're under slavery. And he says, the present Jerusalem, that is to say, the present unbelieving Jews are the spiritual children of the slave woman. Now, this is shocking, but you see how he turned the tables here. He's not talking about biological descent, he's talking about spiritual affinity. What is your life animated by? If it's animated by law, then you're in slavery and you are the spiritual children of Hagar. On the other hand, on the other hand are the spiritual children of Sarah, the free woman. So let's keep reading what Paul says here. But the Jerusalem above, the spiritual Jerusalem. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So, and, and then in verse 28, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. And then verse 31, So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Do you see what he just did? He's saying... Jews or Gentiles who are under law are children of Hagar. Jews or Gentiles who are believers in Jesus Christ are heirs of the promise and therefore the true children of Abraham and Sarah, the free woman, because we have been set free. So, do you, following the argument, you see what he's done? He's saying, not just biological descent because biological descent is not the whole picture here there is spiritual affinity and there is slavery under the law and there is freedom through faith in Jesus Christ He quotes here He quotes here in uh, verse 27 about more are the children of the desolate one than the one who has a husband uh, and this is reflecting on the fact that the gentiles were coming to the to faith in Jesus Christ in great numbers And very soon there were more Gentiles than there were Jews in the Christian church. But it's saying, these are free. They're free because they're coming the same way to God as Jews come, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, um, the argument may seem complicated, because he takes some steps very rapidly, but it it really just amplifies what he's already told us back in chapter 3. If you look at chapter 3, verse 7, Paul has already told us, Know then, that is, those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And then if you look at 3, verse 29, he says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So this is not a new idea in Galatians, but he's added a new detail. He's told us twice, if you are heirs of the promise, if you are believers in Jesus Christ, then you are children of Abraham. But what does he add today? You're children not only of Abraham, but you're children of Sarah as well. Because you are children of the free woman. My daughter Natalia is in law school and she's part of the Hispanic Law Student Association. I think it's Hispanic and Latino Law Student Association. And she rubs shoulders there with uh, a number of friends who have Mexican descent. Their parents are Mexicans. Biologically, they're Mexicans. But these classmates were born in the United States. Um, They don't have a Mexican passport. They oftentimes don't speak Spanish. But they're Mexican. Why? because of biological descent. My daughter, on the other hand, doesn't have any Mexican blood at all, but she was born in Mexico, she has a Mexican passport, she's a Mexican citizen, she speaks native Mexican Spanish. And sometimes they look at each other and say, who's the Mexican here? <laughs> but you see, do you see the question, right? Is being Mexican a question of biological descent Or is it a question of how you think and how you speak and how you feel and so on? Uh, Is it simple biological descent or is it spiritual affinity? And that's the same sort of idea here. Who is the son, who is the daughter of Abraham and Sarah? Those who are of the faith of Abraham and Sarah. Who are those who are in slavery? Well, those who are in slavery are those who put themselves under law as the principle of life, and law-keeping is the way to try to scale the heights to God. Whether they're of Jewish descent or Gentile descent, they're sons of the slave woman and descended from her. Now, there's a final step in this argument, and that's in verses 29 and 30. And this sounds rather harsh. It says, But just at... "...as at the time, he who was born according to the flesh, persecuted..." That's strong language. He mocked, but Paul's talking about persecution because there already had broken out some persecution in his day persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And as we're reading along in Genesis 21, we might feel bad for Ishmael getting cast out. He did nothing wrong. Hagar didn't do anything wrong. She did what her mistress told her to do. So we might feel compassion there. But God said... I will take care of her. I will take care of him. I will make him a great nation. But the line of the promise is through Isaac. So God affirmed this. Now, what's Paul doing with this fact? Paul is saying these two principles of inheritance are incompatible. And this is what we've seen all through the letter to the Galatians. Incompatible. You can not mix these two as they were trying to do in Galatia. And what are these two principles of inheritance? One is law keeping, and the other is faith in the promise. And you cannot mix these because you destroy faith in the promise if you try to mix that with the principle of law keeping to establish ourselves before God. And so that's what he does with this final detail. He says, It's right. What Sarah says is right, her attitude might not be right, but what she says is right. Inheritance here is based on faith in the promise, not just biological descent. And Paul has made it very clear that all of the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He has already said that. It is to your seed, Abraham, your descendant. And that descendant, first and foremost, is Jesus Christ. He is the heir of the promise. And those who have faith in Him also become heirs of that same promise. Why in Him? We've seen this all through Galatians. What did He do? He's the one who came, Son of God in the flesh, fulfilling the law as a human being, giving His life for the sins of His people and rising from the dead on the third day. That is the good news. And Paul says, believe that good news... And you will be a son or a daughter, not only of Abraham, and not only of Sarah, but as we saw a few weeks ago, of God Himself. What's the takeaway? The takeaway is in chapter 5, verse 1. It's the takeaway for the Galatians, the takeaway for us. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke Of slavery. That's what was going on in Galatia. They were losing the Gospel by coming again under a yoke of slavery that no one could ever bear except for Jesus Himself. So He says, if you've been set free, don't go back to slavery. If you've been set free, don't live as a slave. Live as a free man, as a free woman. Now at this point, if you've been following this series, you probably at this point are saying, okay, I'm getting this. (laughs) Now what? How do I live as a free person? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because that's what Paul is going to tell us in the rest of this letter. And I think you will find it beautiful, liberating, and I think you will find it very, very simple. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for this story, and we thank You for how the Gospel changes the story and brings out the depth of the story, and for how it points out that we, who were very far as Gentiles, very far from You, very far from the promises, very far from everything, that You brought us near in Jesus Christ. And we thank You that we can be included, not because we're descended from somebody but rather because we have faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray for all of us that our faith would be in Christ alone. The one who came, the one who died, the one who rose again, the one who is coming again. We pray this in His name. Amen.